0: Let us pray. Father God, as we sit before Your Word, allow us to hear through the power of the Spirit the fullness of Your Word this morning. Allow us to be partakers of the Word and hearers of the Word. And allow us to respond with greater love and reverence for You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hardship and difficulty are universal experiences. Every life has its own trial. We enter the world Crying, seeking comfort, and that is a process that regardless of whether or not you ever enter a church, you ever uh, come to know the fullness of the Christian faith, the biblical faith, it will repeat itself throughout every individual's life. And yet, so far in 17 chapters into this Exodus story, we've seen a great many Trials and hardship. Uniquely uh, distilled in one sense. Refined. uh, An overwhelming number in a short period of time. We've had a holocaust. We've had an enslavement. We've had great pains and sufferings. We've had judgments and hardships. We've had starvations and thirsts. All of these things have been present in the Exodus account. And yet, while all suffer and endure, The unique thing about a biblical faith is that it asks us to look at suffering and hardship with new and different eyes compared to how the world would look at such things. It actually calls the Christian to seize upon the suffering they endure and move on just from a mere fixation of of the suffering, but to remember suffering always has purpose so that when suffering comes, the faithful can confidently say this present suffering is headed somewhere. The uncertainty that we might have behind health and medical problems, the uncertainty maybe in our jobs, in our careers, or, or maybe with our friends or, or our family, or even just to pay the bills to, to make ends meet. These, these stresses... These storms, as Rob well taught downstairs in Sunday school, these providences that God brings upon our lives, while they can seem from anything from the most significant kinds of annoyances to trivial, they cause us much fear and worry, and yet the Christian worldview is a worldview that can look at these things These moments of suffering in the grand scheme of things, and it dares to say in such moments: No, I've I've seen suffering before. I know the pattern of God in suffering. And suffering is always headed somewhere important in the eyes of faith. The Apostle Paul actually lays out this sacred principle in Romans chapter 8, verse 17 writing to a New Testament church that's beginning to experience the reality of suffering for themselves for the sake of Christ's name in ancient Rome. He wrote, and if we are children, you know, we, we call God Father, but here's here's Paul. If we are children, we are also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So if these things are true, if we are part of the great story of redemption, if we are in union with Christ, we're united to the story of salvation that our God gives, this is what the Apostle Paul promises us. We suffer with Him. You hear that? We suffer with Him. With Him. We don't suffer apart from Him. We suffer with Him and why do we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him this is a very sacred thing because when suffering comes it's an opportunity for both us and others to glorify our lord more clearly and so this means we don't just live in a faith that's entirely summed up in the past it's not entirely summed up in the past. Yes, this canon is closed. This story is closed in one sense, and yet in another sense, the story continues. It continues to endure through the sufferings of the people of God because when we suffer, He is with us. And in those sufferings, we have greater reason to glorify God, but also those around us have greater reason to glorify God. And we see this pattern in our text today. It is still as true today as it was in the time of this passage. The faithful sufferer. That individual. And we know this because we know the suffering. The great sufferer of all suffering servants. The Lord Christ Himself. That suffering reveals more deeply, more intimately, the glory of God. And this passage today is a great demonstration of this biblical truth. Now, let us remember in walking into this passage, this is really still the first time the Bible is using the congregational language to to speak of a group. This congregation of Israel has been formed. They are present in the wilderness, and yet, in certain ways, not, not in degrees of suffering, they're, they're not a primitive faith, but this is a primitive congregation. They don't have the fullness of Scripture and the fullness of Revelation that we have in certain ways. And, and a lot of this passage is preparing them for that next step before God's mountain. Getting them ready. But they've already had a master class in Suffering. And God is beginning to put these pieces together, helping to connect both their suffering to God's saving story, and that saving story of salvation is going forth to others. And we can see this at the very start of chapter 18, as Jethro approaches Moses with both his wife and two sons in tow. These are, this is a wife and sons that we haven't seen in the scriptural text since that time in the inn where Zipporah and the sons had were visited by the presence of God in a uh, a most dramatic encounter. And just think of the time and all that Moses has experienced from that point until now. All the suffering that this congregation has endured For instance, Pharaoh made the Israelites slaves since they last met to gather their own straw for bricks and increase their workload. Moses and Aaron confronted Pharaoh, bringing about the early plagues of of the Nile turning to blood. Frogs and the plague of gnats and the plague of flies and the death of livestock and the plague of boils and the plague of hail and the plague of locusts and the plague of darkness and the death of the firstborn. The Passover... There was the suffering of having to move from the place that you had always known and considered home, in one sense. There was the crossing of the Red Sea, first feeling trapped by God because God was leading them to that place, and they felt confined, they felt trapped, as the most powerful army in the world pursued them. They lacked water, and then later they got bitter water in Merah. They lacked food in the wilderness of sin, and then they lacked water again at Riphidim. And then there was the battle with Amalek, a tiring battle against the, the Amalekites. You saw a moment of weakness in order to strike upon these people, and all worldly logic, all worldly understanding of suffering, would look at kind of this moment and in this brief history of this new congregation of Israel and say, "Why do you worship a god?" Why, do you, why would you love and serve a God like that? Who would allow such suffering? Who would allow such hardship? Who would allow such things to befall you as a people? I mean, isn't that a little bit of a mantra today? You know, all those like, social media sites and all those things that try to grab our attention, capture our mind and our thoughts to, to head us in prison to the worldly thoughts of this world. It, it, there's... The world wants to betray. There's nothing more boring and backward and, and absolutely foolish than being a Christian. Being a Christian who understands and, and faithfully understands that following God is not a path of, of suffering without purpose, but a path of salvation. To the world, that's foolishness. To the world, that's folly. So these would have been the people who looked most cursed, To a great many, even the Malachites in the previous chapter, in one sense, they struck upon them because they thought they were cursed in that moment. They thought that it was an advantageous time to defeat them. And yet, for the people in the Exodus in which God was actually in the midst of, you could actually go outside your tent and say, there's the presence of God. They could see it with physical eyes God has a purpose to all this suffering. And you and I are called to eyes of faith as well when we have our own moments of suffering, when we have our own moments where it's hard to get out the door. And while we might not have the glory cloud outside, we're supposed to understand with eyes of faith that can see that the Lord is with me. That the Lord has a purpose. The Lord has a destination. The Lord has something in mind that will bless both myself and others through this present season of suffering. And so, while others would have surely scoffed at this seemingly insignificant people in the middle of nowhere who have been uh, at times at the, the precipice of, dying of thirst, of dying of hunger, who had no land for themselves at this point. Here is someone who's heard of their suffering and comes to them. And Jethro brings along his wife and his two sons. Moses' wife. There's a reunion here. He has heard about all these great many events that have transpired and he wants to come out to meet Moses. The one and his people. And these sons' names, we remember them, they're Gershom and... Uh, where is it? Where's the Eliezer, right? Eliezer? Yes, okay. I, I wanted to feel the confidence of seeing my notes, but... We remember, we've already talked about how Moses' life was really three acts. The, the first 40 years, where... He was really raised in the wisdom of the Egyptians as Stephen will later tell us in the the New Testament. The book of Acts. Then there was this second set of 40 years. And that was when he fled Egypt. He was the sojourner in the wilderness and his first son's name, Gershom, helps remind him of that moment. That he one time was the one wandering in the wilderness, fearful of death, not knowing what lay in store for him. And yet, then that second son's name, Eliezer. That second son was, the Lord was with me though. The Lord was together with me through that suffering, through those times of trials. And, and here is Moses and he's, he's been tired. He was tired last chapter. We, we remember that Aaron and her had to help lift his arms. He was so tired day and night, struggling in order to help with the battle of the Amalekites. And here, Moses, uh, tired, beaten down, is, is met with a reminder of the faithfulness of God in that second at great season of 40 years of his life. And Jethro was coming to Moses. And it's important to appreciate that he was coming as an unbeliever. He was coming as a priest for a different faith. And yet, Jethro is a descendant of Abraham. of, Of Abraham's second wife after the death of Sarah, Keturah. He is a descendant of Abraham. And Abraham's promise from God wasn't just that he was the father of one nation, but he would be the father of many nations. And so well, up until this point, Jethro has been shown to be a very kind man. He's not yet been shown to be a believer yet. And yet he's heard rumor of what's transpired spired, and he's come. He's come to hear. While the Amalekites' last chapter came to attack, when they heard of Moses and Israel, Jethro is a different kind of unbeliever in this moment. He does not want to make war against this God. He'd rather, he would rather come and hear about it. He comes to greet this most distinct and unique people. And as they both approach one another, Moses bows down to Jethro and greets him with a kiss. Moses came in humility to this pagan priest. And we should remember that as Christians. As our own society continues to just love its new found form of paganism, we need to remember the power of humble gentleness like the kind Moses displays to his father-in-law in this moment. It can go a long way in the world. And after the greeting, they both head inside the tent and they meet with one another. And Moses begins to share his testimony, but the his there is not really Moses' testimony. He shares the Lord's testimony. Now, people love testimonies. This is a, a universal truth. This is why we have things like TED Talks and such. We, we love testimonies. I remember when I worked at the Rescue Mission in Las Vegas, or I worked with Next Step Ministries in Las Vegas, dealing with homeless people, dealing with drug addicts, dealing with people who had uh, had lives in prostitution, these sorts of things. You would hear testimony and testimony and testimony and testimony. And sometimes I'd find you'd sit there, and there would be individuals who just, who just got caught up in the testimony and they just loved everyone. They just loved everyone. But there is something illustrated in Moses' testimony that is a key principle of wisdom. And it's a key principle of wisdom I've seen at times Christians fall into the trap of forgetting about. A testimony is all well and good in itself, but a testimony disconnected from being centered upon our Lord's salvation. All that is, I, I heard a lot of, you know, former drug addicts and such who, who went through steps and, and maybe they weren't at the lowest point of the dark pit, but they were still hanging on a ledge over the dark pit. Their testimony, while profound, was totally disconnected from the saving work of God, and we need to be mindful of the fact that Moses has a different testimony. Moses could have impressively told the story that's centered around him and, and and sometimes maybe we as Christians have been tempted to tell stories that are centered around us, but the true Life-giving, powerful testimony is a testimony that centers around God. In one sense, even the faithful preaching of the Word is is to come in here to hear more testimony about the goodness of God. We need to be mindful of that. We need to appreciate that wisdom. That's, That's how we can spot the genuine article from the counterfeit. Moses focuses in on the story of salvation and it all focused on what the Lord has done. How do you tell the story of your own life? How do you and I tell the story of our own life? Here Moses is sharing this story with his unbelieving father-in-law. How do you talk to your... Unbelieving family members. How might you share the story of the Lord's work of salvation? You know, there's that moment in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisee and the publican. And the first half, it's, it's so often missed, but the first half of what the publican says sounds really Righteous. It sounds really on point theologically, especially in like a Reformed circle. He sounds like he's nailed it. God, I thank you that I'm not like. I thank you that I'm not like other men. God, I thank you. God, I I direct my praise to you. But his problem was he saw salvation in his own works. He saw salvation in who he was. He thought himself the better. He thought himself to have figured out the moral law of God to such an extent that he could stand in judgment of others. He could stand and look at the tax collector and say, I think I'm not like that man. And he missed the whole point of a true testimony that's centered upon God. And a true testimony that's centered upon God is displayed by Moses here. It's all about God's salvation. It's all about what God's work has done for us. That's our testimony. That's what we're called to have the courage to go to our loved ones, our friends, our family members with. It's not a story about us. It's a story about the, word, the, the Lord's salvation. And Moses gets this idea. He shares the good news, this gospel good news, with his father-in-law. And Jethro hears this Gospel. He hears this good news. A promise of God is then fulfilled. A promise given to his forefather Abraham that that the Lord would not just save one nation, but that many nations. And Jethro is overcome with joy. And Jethro, once an enemy of God, had now become a believer. The earlier trials and suffering for God's people. It's now bearing fruit throughout the region. Jethro is overwhelmed with emotion. The Hebrew here makes it very clear. And having a flood of God's gracious love pour over him, Jethro then begins to glorify God Himself. Notice how Jethro's testimony, much like Moses, doesn't center upon him, but it centers upon God. Praising him. He too has hit the bedrock of very bedrock. A pagan priest has become one of the faithful. And how did it come to pass? It came to pass because Moses loved his father in law enough to share the story. <clears throat> he loved his father in law enough to say, to not say, hey, what about. What do you think about the weather lately? Or what's going on in our small town? Or what do you think about the Eagles game tomorrow? Looks like, you know, Phillies have a chance in the postseason. had the courage to speak a better word, a word that provides salvation. And that doesn't mean that every time we have the courage to share that word often time and time again, there are times in our families and our friends, we, we, it, it seems like yet again, they reject. Yet again, they refuse, but still keep singing that story. Still keep sharing that story. Because that story gives life. That story changes. That story saves. That's who we're called to be. We we as Christians will often sit down in a meal with loved ones. We know, they don't know the gospel. And we we forget about the fact that far more important than partaking in in actual food is that spiritual feast. Do we seize upon that opportunity to nourish another soul? And so. As the day closes, there is a feast, a festival gathering in one sense. There's a meal with a burnt offering, sacrifices, praises, a bread and festival celebration with one another. Just a wonderful night. I remember just last week, my wife and I went out um, to eat uh, with her family. And, and uh, I remember just going to bed last Sunday and I was telling my wife, I had such a good conversation with your dad i really enjoyed that. And what did we feast on? We feasted on the Word of God. Those are the kinds of moments. Those are our better moments. And I've had plenty of times where I've failed to do that. But those are. This is some of the wisdom that we see in the first half of this passage. But then in verse 13, a new day greets Moses, an exhausting day. A day void of the same kinds of encouragement of the previous uh, day. And he's sitting yet again in an exhaustion, just as he had in the previous chapter, and he's judging the people. And how long was he judging the people according to verse 13? From morning till evening. Just like the exhaustion of the day against the Amalekites, Moses is serving as a judge over every matter for the people. And it's become all-encompassing. We're talking about a large city's worth of people in modern times. Think of all the small interpersonal conflicts. The, the he said, she said, the abuses. Sometimes the crimes. Sometimes the petty things. All these things are coming to Moses. And, he, and he's just getting exhausted ruling on this all. And Jethro, who was blessed by Moses the previous day, he sees this and he goes, this is, this is all backward. This is all wrong. I, 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 it, well, it's not explicitly said in the passage. I, I have to think, here, here Jethro the previous day heard his son-in-law teach through the events of the salvation of God and came to faith. And he just had to be there going, Moses, you're, you're wasting your time with the things that you're not called to do. And, and, and that's, that's a good reminder. I, I, I think people like Rob will often come to me and go, "Okay, hey, Kevin, you got to work on your schedule. you got to work on your calendar. You gotta... That's, we all, but that's not just a reminder for Moses. That's a reminder to all of us. Because we've all had those times where the calendar seems a little too full. The demands on life seem a little too full. Maybe the job requirements, maybe uh, just keeping up with it all. These things start to overwhelm us. Maybe the inbox is full. Maybe uh, there's too many letters in the mail and, and too many bills or, or these sorts of things. Maybe we are just keep, continue to find things that take up our time. And Jethro loves his son-in-law in this moment by helping him prioritize, by helping him to see, hey, Moses... You're focused on things that you could delegate, you could hand off, you could, you have other people in your community who are gifted to do this sort of thing, who could come alongside you and help. And I think it's wonderful that we're in this text this morning because uh, for all the members, hopefully, of voting age, you got a letter uh, about the diaconate and that early conversation and discussion that we're now having as a congregation to consider uh, the appointment of beacons and deaconesses within our congregation that they can come along and help the ministry of the church but but more than that this applies to all of us in our own lives where are the areas in our life where we're allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed to work ourselves busy that maybe we're missing at times some of the ministry and mission of life that God has given to us because remember we're Protestants we believe in the priesthood of all believers What are the things that we're missing in God's account of me because we're just too busy? What are the things that have become our priority instead of the things that God says should be our priority? We all have them. We all have them. And Jethro has the love in this moment to point that out to his son-in-law. And so... God now, the next day, blesses Moses through the gift of Jethro. Jethro sees this CEO, Moses, trying to micromanage everything, and he's making clear to him, You need to empower other people to come alongside. Would we go to a hospital with only one doctor? Would we buy tickets to an orchestra where only one musician was rotating between all the instruments? We would not. God's bringing a tired Moses more men to help carry the load. Not just two like last chapter to help him hold up the staff, but a great many elders. And the model of is this model is the model that really helps establish that idea of separation of power. We in the church, we have a model of separation of power in the eldership and and in other uh, ministries of the church but even this principle uh, not only has followed Christian history and Christian denominations through the, through the eras and ages of the Christian church but it's something that we politically have loved here in America we have loved this idea of separating powers of, of having a government where we don't just have like one tyrant who's in charge of it all And yet, while good government structure is wonderful indeed, notice what is required of a good government from this passage. We need men who fear God and hate the idea of taking bribes. Remember that as you get overly caught up in political season yet again and want to put, you know, say, oh, the, the, the republic is done if this person doesn't get elected over this person. Do we have candidates leading the pack that truly fear God? Does the conduct of the entirety of their life show that? Do we have men in the conduct of their life have shown themselves unwilling to take a bribe? You don't have the first basic principles. It doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're a congregation or a nation. It's going to fail. If you don't have the first part of the recipe, it doesn't matter. And by the way, that's not a call not to vote, but I'm just saying it's, it is a call to remember where our hope is most found in. And we don't have many people Out there who are God fearing individuals in our government, and unfortunately, in most denominations in this country. It's not going to biblically work if we don't follow the biblical model. And so Moses receives this word. From Jethro. He actually receives it just as if the Lord says it. We know that he receives it as the Lord says it because where do we read Jethro's words today? In the Scriptures themselves. God allowed Jethro in our passage today uh, to, to share a better word with Moses. And Moses heard those words as if they were from God because they were from God. And so we see this beautiful symmetry in this passage. The day earlier Moses had come alongside Jethro and loved to share salvation with him, but then the next day in, in brotherly fellowship, Jethro was allowed to come alongside in Moses' walk and save him from the pain and suffering and difficulties of hardships of, of frankly over managing, over micromanaging every little thing. And that's a biblical worldview. It's a large part of the reason why those individuals who say, I just need my Bible and, you know, and I'm good. I don't need to live in community. That, that is folly. That's absolutely absurd. Actually, the scriptural pattern is people from differing backgrounds and differing situations in our diversity, there is strength, that ability to come alongside one another and help each other in our hours of need. To help one another see more clearly. That's how we are to live in faith. And so God ordained both Moses and Jethro to remedy their suffering in the span of two days in order to bring them into a greater love of God, a greater understanding of what God has called His people to be. God brought these two men who loved each other into the wilderness to teach us Uh, Much about how we are to consider our own life's trials and how we are to act in the company of those we love who need us to speak up and to say, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, there are times where we know those around us are suffering and we need to speak up. We are not to be a people to miss the opportunity, no matter the consequences, no matter where it takes us, no matter what it leads to, we are people who are to outdo one another in love and good works. Not because such a thing saves us, but because that's the story of the God who saves us. That's the story of the God whose image we are created in. And so, when we remember that story, we can remember that suffering always has a purpose. Hard pain, um, hardship and pain always has a destination. And we can best, of course, see that upon the cross. You know, soon in, in, in Sunday school, I'm getting it to teach on my favorite passage in all the Gospels. It's in Mark chapter 10. And it's the only time Jesus is ever depicting running up ahead. Going up ahead in front of uh, His disciples. And His disciples see this. He's basically running out in front. And they're, they're fearful. They're afraid. They don't know what to think of it. And Jesus basically lays it out for them. You know what I'm excited about? I'm going to Jerusalem. Where basically I'm going to be tortured and die and suffer and die on a cross. And then be raised again. He finds this joy in his suffering because he knows the suffering that he would endure leads somewhere and here we have been with these people in the wilderness who felt oh i'm lost oh god's abandoned us oh what, what are we to do oh we have no direction and here we see the fruit of suffering and the fruit of suffering is salvation for those who have not yet heard and a greater peace for those who are walking in the wilderness And that includes you and I. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we all bring things that we bear week in and week out. And yet, you allow us the opportunity to lay them down here. And to see the incredible things that you do through the power of your hand. Let us never weary of sharing your story of redemption with others. Let us not make ourselves the story. Let us remember that you're always the one in whom we should focus upon. but also, Lord, let us come alongside brothers and sisters when they are struggling, when they might be uh, too busy uh, and and overwhelmed with work that, and burdens that they don't need to take. And let us offer a better word, and let, us, let them have ears to hear. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let us take a moment, quietly and privately, to confess our sins before the Lord.